Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and, and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than. Good morning, Coastal Community Church. Great to see you. Uh, If you have your Bible, turn with me uh, to Hebrews. We're going to continue in our series called Greater Than, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 7. And uh, there's a handout in your bulletin. You can follow along with me there. And uh, am I the only one hearing that low rumble? Just uh, great. So we'll just, yeah, never mind. Well, I'm not going to say what came to my mind. Anyway, so um, I'm going to filter. It's been an interesting week in our culture, hasn't it? Uh, If you've been watching the news and things get confused sometimes in our culture and things get twisted. And um, and so I just want to, I want to open actually this morning with some prayer and for our country and, and for me, the, the need of the gospel uh, was highlighted this week and how the gospel um, unifies. It doesn't divide, okay? Um, sin is not a skin color problem. Everybody recognize sin is a human condition. Um, and, and the need for a savior is not a skin color problem. Uh, it's we all need a savior. Does that make sense? And... Racism has no place, certainly in the church, and I addressed that uh, back in, in, in uh, February or March, and, and so we need to be unified under the cross of Jesus Christ, don't we? And the church has the message of hope that we all need a Savior, red, yellow, black, and white. And, and so um, a couple things, you know, I was thinking as we were singing, I was thinking about Revelation chapter 5, and there's this, this beautiful... Um, picture of heaven, and in chapter 5, there's this scroll that no one is worthy to open except, of course, Christ himself, and so there's this throne room where these creatures, heavenly creatures and elders are singing to the Lord, and in chapter 5, verse 9 of Revelation says that, and they sang a new song, and so as the scroll is given to Christ, there's this new song. It says, worthy are you to take this scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people. In other words, you bought back by the shedding of your blood, which is exactly what we've been talking about in Hebrews, right? What does Hebrews say? Without the shedding of blood, there's what, church? You guys should know this by now. There's no forgiveness of sins, right? And so Jesus shed his blood, and he's bought back sinners, Ransomed people for God, and listen to this, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I love that passage. If you're here this morning and and there's, there's racism in your heart, you need to repent and believe in the gospel because you're not going to like heaven very much, all right? Because every tribe, tongue, and nation is around the throne. And one of the things I love about this passage is I think that there are differences in cultures and the beauty of the differences in cultures. A painting wouldn't be very beautiful if it was one color, right? And so uh, what makes a painting beautiful is the different hues and tones. And so I think even around the throne of God, we see some of the differences in cultures that each cult. And one of the things about the gospel, the gospel takes differences and unifies them. Does that make sense? And I'm not talking about, I am not talking about overlooking sin. Okay, sin always needs to be paid for, repented of, and paid for by Christ, but repented of 
in our lives and move forward. But I am talking about sometimes there are differences that are beautiful and each side needs to be, it's, it's the picture of marriage, right? Two very different people come together and they work together in unity for the glory of God and the fame of the gospel. Does that make sense? And so there's no place for racism, no place for racism in our justice system, in our police forces, in our churches, and in, in our culture. With that said, the men and women that serve this country and defend its freedom, both we, last week we honored those, you know, we honored our country from a national level, but our first responders should be people that we're praying for and asking to do things well. Does that make sense? And so here's what we're going to do this morning. Any first responders in here, would you stand? We want to applaud you, and we're going to pray over you as you keep us safe in our communities. Any in here? Stand up. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I want to pray over you guys. And, and let's not confuse these. See, these things are getting confused in the minds of our people. Let's not confuse these two. The people who put their lives on the line should be honored, and there's no place for racism. Agreed? And, and the gospel unifies these things. And, and that's our hope. And church, that's why we meet, and that's why what you're doing here this morning is you're learning and then taking that out on the mission field, if you will, in your, in your sphere of influence. Very, very important. Very important. The hope of this nation is not the next president. I can tell you that. It's the God... I got you. I didn't mean that to be a joke, okay? So uh, the hope of the nation is the kingdom of kings and priests called out from every tribe, tongue, and nation and uplift the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to... We're a confused culture, God, and and we've become confused... um, because we have strayed from your word, and, 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 and we, we need a great awakening of your spirit, God. I mean, we, somehow we think that military might is the answer. That's not the answer, Lord. Shooting people is not the answer, God. The answer is that every tribe, tongue, and nation would bow a knee to the lordship of Christ and work together to make the kingdom of God go to every corner of the earth. God, I want to thank you for our first responders, and we have some here in our own church body that stood, Lord. We, I thank you for the men and women that serve in this local community, uh, upholding the laws, doing it with truth and with justice, and and many, many times putting their own lives on the line in order to protect the civilians of this, of this community. And so we thank you for them, God. I thank you for their families. And I'm sure that's a stress on their spouses and on their children, God. And so we just ask you to bless their families, God. Keep their homes united. Keep them protected, Lord. God, but I pray for the gospel to go forward. I, I, I would love to see, um, see us not have to hire so many law enforcement because people have bowed a knee to Christ and are pursuing truth and justice and righteousness on their own, God. And how great would that be? And so, Lord, we ask for a great awakening. I ask for every person in this room this morning, Lord, that um, is a follower of you, Lord, as they go out on mission, what they do is very important, and that's to spread the name and fame of Christ every single day. Pray for our country, God. We pray for a great awakening of your spirit. And it starts, God, with opening your word, acknowledging it to be true, repenting when, our, when we're in sin and believing in the person and work of Christ. And Lord, we just ask for that great movement across this wonderful land that you've given us to live in. We're so grateful for America, God. And it's many, many blessings, God. You've, you've as a culture, you've blessed our socks off and and Lord, we, we, are, we recognize that all blessings come from you and your wonderful hand. And so we thank you for the many blessings. Forgive us, God, for how somehow we think we've done it on our own strength, Lord. And we recognize the, our complete need and dependence on you. We ask for healing across this land, God. We need it desperately. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're starting uh, the chapter 12 this morning, bringing this thing down the home stretch um, of the book of Hebrews. I, I hope you guys have enjoyed it, man. I, I know for me, uh, 
I've enjoyed studying it and putting it together. And today we're talking about running a great race. I remember, uh, I don't even know if cars have this anymore. I remember when I was younger, my first car, uh, it was a 1980 Pontiac Sunbird. Okay, I'm sure it's rusting away in some junkyard right now where it should have been when I was driving it. Okay, and so um, I remember one time I went to, uh, went out with some friends and I parked on the side of a steep hill and, uh, and, and this has kind of gone away, I think, in, in the advent of the automatic transmission. Uh, but my car had a, a parking brake in the middle of it, right? And so was, for reasons known only to me, I decided to put the parking brake on, right? And even though it wasn't going anywhere, I was on a steep hill. And then in a rush when I left, and because I ne- was never in the habit of putting the parking brake on, never, I was never in the habit of taking the parking brake off, I went all the way home with my parking brake on, right? Anybody here want to admit, like, yeah, I've done that before, a couple of us. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, we've done that. And I remember driving home thinking, man, this car seems awful sluggish today. Like, as if it was peppy before the parking brake was on. That wasn't true either, you know, but something's wrong, you know, and I'm really hitting the gas, and I probably sold that car to a friend uh, shortly thereafter, but, you know, but, you know, it's because I was, I wasn't running light, you know, I was, uh, I had the the weight of the brake on this car, and it was resistance that didn't need to be there, and so this morning, we want to talk about this race, and and so the author of Hebrews here kind of now takes a turn, and he, he, he illustrates your life, if you will, as a race that is run, that needs to be run. And so, uh, and so he's encouraging us as followers of Jesus to run this race of life as light as possible. And, and, and he encourages us to really to run with endurance. And he, and he reminds us that this race of life, and, and I, maybe you came in this morning and, and your burden was heavy and you felt like, man, you walked in and you felt like you got knocked down this week or the week before or the coming week, you know it's going to be difficult. I want to encourage you, the Christian race is really a marathon that as we run it, we are going to get knocked down, okay? Because we live in a broken world. We've got our own sin. In fact, the Bible talks about three enemies of the Christian faith, the world, the flesh, and the devil. All three of us, will, all three of them will knock us down from time to time. Our workplace will not be as fulfilling because of Genesis 3 and 4 and the curse of God upon work. And none of it just, it's just ever since sin entered the world, none of it just works like it's supposed to. And so we need to run with endurance, and we have these examples of the Old Testament. That's what Hebrews 11 was for us, so these this examples. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the author says, Therefore, since we have, we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Okay, so that's a reference back to Hebrews 11, these huge cloud of witnesses of Old Testament saints that really have run the race just like we're running it. Okay, so you, so if you're here this morning you're thinking, man, this is really hard and I'm all by myself in this journey. You're not all by yourself. We have a whole group of witnesses of people that have run the race of life before us and so you're not in it all by yourself. And that's what Hebrews 11, part of it is to remind us of that. In fact, these people of faith, which well, we can identify with as we go through life. Let's look what he, I didn't cover this last week, Hebrews 11, verse 38. And Pastor Andrew and I were talking a couple weeks ago. He said this is one of his favorite verses of Hebrews 11. He says, the author says, they were too good for this world. These people that journeyed by faith with the Lord, they're too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. They, 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 like, in other words, these people, if you're, if you're here this morning, I, I think it applies to you. Like, like there's an element as your journey with Christ that the earth really doesn't even deserve you in a sense, right? It's because we're running with endurance. And these Old Testament examples remind us of what it means to, to run through life with endurance, how do we run? With, how do we run? If the, if the illustration is that of a race, how do we run with endurance? Well, we got to run light, right? You can't be burdened. You got to you got to unburden yourself to run this race. Hebrews twelve one says, "Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us." And we're getting ready to head into the Olympics, right? And the Summer Olympics, right? And, and nobody's going to run the 100 meters and strap some extra weight on their leg, right? It would be ridiculous. 
No, the author's using the idea of a race, and he says, listen, when we race, you know, we, we strip, you know, the, we strip off everything that hinders the race. And nowadays, you know, the clothing, they get as tight a clothing as possible, and the swimmers, you know, like, they, I think I said this back in the spring, like, they shave themselves. There's no hair on their bodies. I mean, I, I'd go through four razors, you know, getting to that point, and, you know, it'd be like shaving a woolly mammoth, you know, and, and like, more TMI probably, so, uh, yeah. You, you run as light as possible, okay? Nobody says, hey, let's add extra things. The, the weight slows us down. I want to challenge some of you this morning, okay? There are some of you that there are some things that aren't necessarily sinful in your life that are hindering your race. There could be good things, material possessions. You, you know, you, you've got a hobby or whatever. And, and, and all these things can be good in and of themselves. I believe that God gives us Sabbaths in the middle of our journey, resting spots in the middle of our journey so that we can be rejuvenated, so that we can continue to run the race. But sometimes these things that are intended to be good, they consume us, right? You know, and, and uh, I've been playing, my, my youngest son recently has gotten into golf, and so I've been playing a little bit more golf with him, and, and I'm trying to improve, you know, and not be such a hack. And, and, uh, but, but like that can become, like you could go, man, I got to spend every day, you know, out there, you know, shaving my strokes so I can, you know, be not so terrible. And like at the end of the day, it's like, well, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that much. And we can invest and invest in things that are good and okay and have their place, but they can consume us. And, and the author of Hebrews says, man, we got to strip off everything that will keep us from focusing on the eternal things that really matter. Does that make sense? And so I want somebody to evaluate, man, is there something in my life that really is consuming my time and my thoughts? And, and really, it's a good thing, and it's an okay thing. It's not necessarily sinful, but it's not the best of things to run the race with endurance, to store up treasures in heaven, and run in such a way that I have eternity in mind. And so there's some things that are keeping you from serving or giving or studying because your good things are consuming your resources. And then, of course, the author says, not only do some good things, but he says, especially sin. Sin will just, it's just, it's this huge weight in your life as a believer that's keeping you from running with endurance. And I think there's two ways that this affects us. One is there's, there's some present hidden sin in your life as a Christian, and it is weighing you down and you know it. And so every time the Spirit of God starts to stir in your heart to, to invest more in eternal things and in, in important things of the kingdom and of the local church, uh, that, that that sin, uh, that hidden sin of pornography or sexual sin or your anger at home that, that you, know, you cover up really well here on Sunday and you know, everybody looks holy here on Sunday, but at home, your family, they know that you're like, you're like Mount Vesuvius, that you could just erupt at any time. Or your lack of spiritual discipline, or your, your gambling, or your alcoholism, or your drug addiction, and, and this kind of this hidden sin, and up to this point you've been able to keep covered up, man, it's like a weight, and you, you're not running the race that God intends for you to run. And it keeps things from endurance, running with endurance and honoring the Lord. And then there's some of you in this room that there's some past sin that you're not currently dabbling in, but you really haven't believed that the gospel has covered that sin. And so there's this past sin, you've, you're not actively in it, it's not, but, it, but the shame of it is still shackling you because you haven't believed that the gospel really did cover that for you, right? Like it could have been the past affair that you, know, you had and, and now you think, man, I'll never be used by God. Or a crime, or an abortion. And so these things are holding you down and, and you're not free to run the race because you haven't believed that the gospel really did cover that sin. The blood of Jesus was spilt. You've asked forgiveness. You've repented and, and your sin is forgiven according to the scriptures as far as the east is from the west. But you keep bringing it up in your minds and you go to God and God goes, what? I forgave that one, right? And by the way, let me encourage you as brothers, as Christians, like 
If somebody ever comes to you and reveals like, hey man, I, I, like they got this burden on them and they reveal that one to you. Like this is the one they've never told anybody. They finally tell you. Here's how you respond to that. You ready? So, is that all you got? Why do we respond that way? Because the cross has paid for it. I think a lot of times as Christians, you know, if, if someone tells you the one that's been burdened in their heart and you go, you know, here's the deal. Like you haven't figured out how bad your sin is yet right? And so when someone tells me the one that they think is the one, I go, so? You know, the God, the cross covered that one. Let's move on. You know, God's got more for you. And so we're, you're running and you're shackled. And so, so how do we run with endurance? Well, I, I hate to bore you with this, okay? Hopefully you're not bored. It's really simple. Ready? Here it is. We fix our eyes on Christ, Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what, the, that's what the author says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. How do we run with endurance? How do we unshackle from sin? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus is the author and he's the perfecter. This is very similar to Hebrews chapter two, which we've already covered. Pastor Andrew said this weeks ago, Jesus is the main point. The author of Hebrews keeps coming back to this. Jesus is the main point. Jesus is the main point. Fix your eyes on Christ. Pursue him. And by the way, you run the race that God has called you to run. Not your neighbor. See, this is what we do sometimes. Well, God, you know, it's really not fair because they got, we tell all the things that God's not fair with. And God says, that's not your race. I've marked out a race for you. You keep your eyes on Christ, okay, and follow me and run the race that is laid out for you. And see, this is what happens with Christians. We start looking this way. Well, you know what, God? I gave up, you know, certain kind of movies. I'm not reading those books anymore. I don't drink. I never have a sip of alcohol. But there, and we start pointing around. And what that's called is legalism, right? Things that the Bible doesn't specifically address, but God has convicted you in your heart with the race that you're supposed to run. Fix your eyes on Christ, yes? And we'd run and we pursue Christ. And we run the race that God has set before us. Stop worrying about everybody else. And we run with endurance. And when you come in here and you feel like, man, I can't take another step, let me encourage you, okay? To run with endurance is to reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hate to keep coming back to this, but it really is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you get weary, I can tell you, your mind and your heart have not yet been captured enough with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's what the author says. Check this out, Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now, we get a little insight into the thinking of Jesus and why he endured the cross. Check this out. Because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus did what? What do he do, church? All right, we're mumbling, here we go. Because of the joy set before him, he did what? He endured the cross, right? disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't what, church? Do what? Become weary and what? Quit, right. Give up. It's a mindset at this point. We've got to have the mind of Jesus. And what did Jesus' mindset on he, he looked past his 33 years on earth, he looked past the cross, and he had an eternal focus. The joy set before him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so if you came in this morning and you were like, man, I'm about to quit this race, I wanna encourage you, you are not setting your mind on the things of Christ. You've forgotten that Jesus endured something for you. He was put to death at the hands of sinners, the people he was trying to save, but he had a mindset that said, I'm looking past this to the joy set before me. I'm believing that the will of the Father. So some of you just keep kind of stumbling along because your mind is not set on the things of Christ. Your endurance has everything to do with thinking about the gospel of Jesus and living with the big picture of eternity. 
One of the main problems that you and I have in our spiritual walk is we are not heavenly minded enough. We are too quick to live for the temporal without thinking about, man, how does this impact like my forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, right? And so we need to be, have the mindset of Christ we need to run a great race. We need to run with endurance. Second thing we see here is in this race, this spiritual race that our lives are running is the gift of discipline. The author talks about the gift of discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse five. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Okay, so now he's, taught, he's transitioning. He says to run this race, there's gonna be times where God, as a child of God, provides discipline for you. Now, for many years, I read this. This is actually, as I was studying, it was like a light bulb went on for me. I don't know why I've missed this all the years of my life. I always took discipline as punishment. Okay, so I was like, I always kind of read this verse like, man, God must be mad at me all the time, okay? Now, there is a place for discipline that is punishment, yes? Of course there is, all right? And so, and so when I feel like I'm going through a season of discipline, I do take the time to go, man, is there some sin in my life? Is God, is God trying to get my attention for something? There's an area that I'm not seeing like I should. So there's different kinds of discipline. Of course, the first one is, is a form of punishment, right? There's sin, God's trying to get my attention, and I should give active prayer and thought to that. That's not the only kind of discipline, right? There's, there, there's also the discipline of prevention. We do this with our kids, right? I mean, think about, think about the stove or think about a beautiful fire through the, eyes of a to, through the eyes of a toddler, right? It's pretty, right? I mean, you look at it, you look at the glowing embers and you're like, man, that's really sparkly. And man, you know what I would like to do with that sparkly little glowing ember? I would like to do what? reach out and touch it. That's a normal, I think, response of a two and three-year-old. And most of us as parents, the first time they do that, they reach for the ember, they reach for the hot stove, which is glowing and pretty, right? What do we do? Just let them go, they'll learn. You know, natural, natural consequences, you know. No, what do we do? Boom, discipline. Well, are you in trouble? Well, not so much in trouble, it's a prevention thing, right? Like, hey, listen, that's, that's good. You know, this hurts a lot less than this, right? And so there's this form of discipline that's preventative that you're, so this child doesn't end up with a third degree burn on their hand, right? And so sometimes the discipline of the Lord is preventing you from a train wreck, right? See, young people, I'm gonna tell you something. When you're dating someone and, and, and that dating relationship doesn't work out, that's not always the end of the world. Maybe God's Oh God, why did you let this happen? I'm so jealous you. Right? I know, I get it, it hurts. There's a season. I always say this when you're dating someone, you break up, there's a grieving period. There's a grieving period. But at some point, you gotta go, you know what? Maybe God's protecting me. Right? Got the business that I really wanted to do, it didn't work out. Right? Maybe God was protecting you from a, tra- a financial train wreck. You know? I know, you know, as we journeyed as a church towards this building, there was a, many obstacles. It seemed like one a day. And so, uh, you know, and as you're per- persevering and you keep praying, you say, Lord, if you want to shut the door, you know, maybe you're preventing us, right? And that's okay. Like, we trust you in that. Of course, the doors kept opening for us, and so we're thankful for that. But, but that's so maybe God's disciplining because of prevention. Or maybe God is disciplining because of education and training, Right? Maybe there's an educational piece or a training piece. Kind of like an athlete will have a coach and that coach will help discipline them so they can be the best they can be. Does that make sense? Uh, Everything, one of the joys of my life, which has pretty much come to an end as I get older, but one of the joys I had, it it was coaching my kids in sports. I mean, I love that. and one thing, I'm about to confess something they didn't know. Everything I learned about coaching, I learned from Coach Norman Dale. Now, if you don't know who Coach Norman Dale is, he was Gene Hackman in the movie Hoosiers, okay? And so I learned everything about coaching from him. And there's a couple great scenes where he's got these practices going. 
And the kids hate the way he runs practice, right? And he starts out and these kids are just, it's a basketball team and they're just running suicide sprints. And as they're running and they're just exhausted, he goes, no team of mine is gonna run out of steam before my opponent, you know? And the kids, and so in other words, he's like, I'm gonna get you guys fit, you know? And I would yell that at my eight-year-olds, you know? Like, <laughs> we're gonna win the rec league basketball, you know, kind of thing. And then, and then one of the kids on Normandale's team looks up, he goes, your practices ain't no fun, you know? And Normandale goes, my practices are not designed for your enjoyment, you know? And so I would yell that from time to time. And that's all I knew about coaching, you know? And so, and that's what I would do. And I did it for a lot of years. It's fantastic. And so, but Norman Dale was trying to get the best that he could out of his players, right? Most players are not going to go, you know what, coach? I'd really like to run some suicides today, right? No. Some do, some are that self-motivated, but very few are. The coach is there to get the best out of them. And some of that is fitness and endurance. And sometimes the discipline of the Lord is to, is to bring the best out. There, there's more fruit that your life can produce. Can I be honest with you? I, I've learned way more about being a pastor and about leadership and things like that in difficult times, Right? I mean, think about your growth as a person, as a, as a spiritual leader, as a Christian. Like, more growth, if, you look, if you're honest, you go, I learned a lot more when it was tough. Yes? It's the easy times where what happens when it gets easy, if you're like me, and I hope you're not in this regard, when it gets easy, I kind of go, man, I'm, I'm doing good. Look at me go. You know? And, and, and what happens? At that point, the eyes are no longer fixed on who? Jesus Christ. But man, when everything's out of my control and I'm like, you feel like your whole life's hanging on by thread, suddenly your eyes really quickly get fixated on, guess what? Jesus, right? And so the Father disciplines us. And by the way, this shows, the author goes on to say that this means God loves you and you're a part of his family. If you're here this morning and you're in the middle of, you're neck deep in a difficult time, guess what? That means God loves you and you're a part of his family. Why is that? Well, because, verse 6, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one as he accepts as a child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? He goes, you know, goes on to talk about it. Earthly fathers do what they think is best for their kids. Listen, like, like when I see a lot of y'all parenting your kids, like I don't feel a huge responsibility there with your kids, you know? But if I see my kid doing the same thing that your kid's doing, suddenly like, like dad kicks in, right? Like that's my, and so that's an earthly example to, if the Lord loves you, he's, he's training you. He loves you too much to let you keep going down a particular path. It means you're part of the family. And the discipline of the Lord then produces fruit, okay? Produces fruit. Hebrews 12, 9 through 11. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness, no discipline's enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. God has a bigger picture, okay? So as a parent, you have a bigger picture for your, for your eight-year-old, right? You understand how life works as a parent. So you discipline, you're trying to train all the way through the teen years, you know, into adulthood to train young adults, okay? You have a bigger picture. Well, in like way, our Heavenly Father has the eternal picture. And he knows what he wants your life to produce for all of eternity, for all of your existence. And so God disciplines our lives so that we're more effective and we make an, an eternal impact and for eternal significance. Jesus taught this, by the way, in John chapter 15, right? Jesus said, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he produce, prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. 
Our heavenly Father's a gardener, right? He's, he's pruning you to produce fruit, okay? So, and which reminds us, you know, discipline's a good thing. And so the author finishes with this. He finishes with a how-to. So how do we run with endurance? What does that look like? I've already hinted at some of this, okay? But let me park here. It's endurance of the mind, We have to be eternally minded, church. We have to be eternally minded, heavenly minded. We have to be thinking about, man, I exist forever and ever and ever and ever. And so it starts in our mind, Hebrews 12, 12. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees Mark out the straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. Now, let me park here for a minute, okay? Let me, make, let me remind you of context. This is being written to people that are being persecuted because they're Christians. I mean, this isn't like, you know, hey, pastor, could you pray for me? Because I'm going to the doctor. I may have cancer. That's terrible. I will pray for you. But this is written to people that are, their persecution is because they have named Jesus as their savior. And their stuff's being taken and they're being thrown in jail. And so this, this author is encouraging them with endurance. And at a time like that, you need to be extremely heavenly minded. And so he says, listen, you know, s- s- you know strengthen your, your weak hands and knees. He's reminding them, don't grow weary. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. And I'm here to tell you that much of that is right here. It's a, it's a choice in the mind of what am I going to do Tomorrow. How am I going to think tomorrow? How am I going to, how am I going to allow my attitude to be tomorrow? Am I going to walk around with a woe is me or am I going to strengthen my knees and my weak hands? I'm going to focus on Christ, remembering that Christ has an eternal plan for me. Yes? I think a lot of times, I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you a little preacher insight, okay? I think a lot of times people think, man, it must be great to be a pastor, like, I feel, because I went to summer camp once and it was awesome. Like you just did God all day, right? And so that's what a pastor must be like, right? Pastors, right? That's what it's like. There are days that you got to go, you know what? I'm going to fix my mind on what God has called me to do. Being a pastor is no different than the the race that you run in that regard. Like there are some tough days and there are some days you go, you know what? God is, this is the the race God has called me to run. I don't look side to side. This is what God's called me to run. And I'm going to, I'm going to strengthen, I'm going to focus on Christ. I'm going to get up tomorrow. I'm going to check my attitude. I'm going to check my heart. I'm going to check what I'm choosing to believe. And I'm going to run after Christ and what he's called me to run. The race he's called me to run. Does that make sense? And so then it gets really simple here. And it's, it's basically love God and love others. Here's how you run the race. You love God and you love others. Hebrews 12, 14. Work at living at peace with everyone. Which, by the way, isn't that a great verse for what our culture's going through this week? Man, work at living at peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life. Those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now, by the way, this is not works-based salvation. Don't pull this one verse out of 11 chapters and say, see, there it is. You know, just be good and you get to heaven. I mean, that would annul 11 chapters of the importance of focusing on Christ. He's not throwing the gospel away with one verse. The idea here is that in our process of sanctification, our process of growing to be more like Christ, we focus on the Lord and we want to become who Jesus is. Jesus is holy. And so we become more and more like Christ, dying to our flesh and our sin and and growing to be more like Jesus Christ by loving God and loving others. And then he circles back around, right? He circles all the way back around to running this race light, stripping off the things that keep us from running the race. And he encourages us to take sin seriously. Even as a Christian, as we battle with our flesh, okay, 
We need to take the sin that trips us up seriously. Hebrews 12, 15, looking after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterwards, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. Why? Because it was too late for repentance, even though he begged with it for, with bitter tears. And you're like, now that's a weird thing to tack on here at the end. Let me tell you about Esau. This is a great little story. I want to apply it to your life. If you know the story, there were twins in the womb, Jacob and Esau. And in Old Testament times, the oldest, the eldest son would receive the bulk of an inheritance of the father. And the eldest son would also get the bulk of the blessing. So there were two things that the eldest son would usually get. It was the, it was the, the blessing and the birthright, okay? And so Esau was the twin and he came out first, but God made a prophecy over his brother Jacob and he said, the, in this case, the older is gonna be a servant to the younger, okay? It's the younger child that, that's gonna be really the, the lineage to Christ, our savior, okay? And so Esau is born first, but he's, he's already been told he's not gonna receive the traditional customary blessing and birthright, all right? And so we're told that Esau's kind of a, a hunter, right? He's a, in some ways I love Esau. He's the guy I wanna be, like in this sense. He's a man's man. Like he's out there hunting, bringing home the meat, you know? And Jacob's like, sewing and cooking, right? And that's kind of me, actually, you know? And it's like, man, like I see guys working on their car and, uh, and they're greasy and, you know, I'm like, man, I wish I could be like that, you know? And, I, like, and then I get under my car and I hit my knuckles and I cry and I, you know, like I'll just drive it to the mechanic tomorrow, you know? And so that's kind of how I do. And so, so Esau's this man's man. He comes in from the field one day and he's starving. Like, you ever been there? Like you are so famished and, and you know this, right? I, I do this. I get hangry. And I, sometimes I'll even say, honey, I'm hangry. I'm trying my best, but I'm hangry. Okay. So I just need to eat something. And so he's starving and, and, and Jacob's making stew. And he says, I need a bowl of stew right now. And Jacob says, well, it's not time to eat yet. You got to wait a little bit, you know? And we're going to call the family together. He doesn't really say that's my addition. But say, so, you know, we're going to call the family together, right? And Esau says, well, I'm going to die. He goes, I'll do anything for that bowl of stew. And Jacob goes, I'll tell you what, give me your birthright. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Jacob is saying, okay, when dad dies, you're going to get 50% of the inheritance. The other 50% gets divvied up among all the children, Okay, And so Jacob says, let's flip-flop positions in the will. You give me your birthright, and then you get the leftovers. And Esau goes, well, what good's my birthright if I'm about to die? He's not about to die, but in his mind, he's so hangry, he can't help himself. Does that make sense? He says, yeah, all right, fine, give me the thing of stew for, my, for your birthright. And in that moment, he makes that swap, a bowl of stew for his inheritance. And we look at that story and we go, Esau is such an idiot, right? What a nut job. Eat a Snickers, dude. You're not yourself, right? I know you all are thinking it already anyway. You're not yourself when you get hungry kind of thing. Now here's the illustration. You ready? We do the same thing when we indulge our flesh. Man, I'm going to enjoy this temporary moment of sin and I run the risk of exchanging eternity. Isn't that amazing? And the author's going, you idiot. Eat a Snickers, right? No, 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 you idiot. Like you're, you're becoming like Esau. This temporary enjoyment, you're risking the eternal future that God has for you. Isn't that an amazing thing? You're going to read the story of Esau totally different now. You're not gonna look at him and go, what an idiot. You're gonna look at you. Go, man, I, 
I'm running the risk of being Esau. Exchanging the temporary for eternal glory. And I just keep coming back to Hebrews 9. It's appointed once for a man to die. And after that, there's this, this thing where we stand before the Lord and a wise man lives with that in mind. And a fool exchanges that moment for all the temporary pleasures that we can muster up for ourselves. And so the author of Hebrews says, church, run with endurance. Run with the big picture in mind. Run by keeping your eyes fixated on Jesus Christ. Emmett Smith We'll finish with this. Close with prayer. Emmett Smith. I've used this illustration before, by the way. So some of you, somebody always brings that up to me afterwards. So there you go. All right, I've used this before. Emmett Smith is the NFL's all-time leading rusher. Did you know that? Ran for the, mostly for the Dallas Cowboys. <clears throat> Boo. Um, so in, in his career, Emmett Smith ran 18,000 yards, over 18,000 yards in the NFL. Just to give that some perspective, Ennett Smith ran about 10 miles in his NFL career. Over those 10 miles of NFL yards that he ran, did you know that his average rush per time he was handed the ball was 4.2 yards per carry? So I want you to think about that for a minute. Emmett Smith ran 10 miles getting knocked down every 4.2 yards by really big, angry, 300-pound defensive linemen, okay? He would get up, he would dust himself off, and he would focus on the goal line, and he'd run another 4.2 yards. He'd knock down, he'd dust himself off, he'd get up behind his line, look, the, look at the goal line, another 4.2 yards, another 4.2 yards, another 4.2 yards until he ran a 10-mile race that way. Some of you this morning, you came in here and you got knocked down this week. Maybe it was the cultural news, the big picture, maybe it's the small picture, your own personal stuff. And you came in here and you got knocked down and you say, I'm going to go to church this morning. Hopefully there's going to be some hope. Here, I, I'm going to give you the hope. Ready? Fixate on Jesus Christ. Fixate on Christ. Fixate on Christ. He's the one that's marked out your path. This is not earning your salvation, but this is worship to Christ, even in the mundane even in the difficult. We've not been called to a sprint. We have been called to a marathon. And it's a marathon that you're gonna get knocked down every 4.2 yards and it's gonna be run with endurance day by day, step by step. It's following and obeying Christ in all the choices of our lives that impact all that we do. All the while keeping in mind, Hebrews 12, one and two, therefore, church, you're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, to strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And man, let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Focus your thoughts, your heart, and your mind on Christ and on eternity. Run your race tomorrow as an act of worship, an act of love, an act of thanksgiving, an act of adoration to our Savior who ran his race because of the joy set before him. Being mindful that we are surrounded by a great group of witnesses that have done it before. Fixate on Christ and run with endurance. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this people. People in this room, your body, your church. Thank you for the reminder that the race you've called us to run is not intended necessarily to be easy. And it is a race of endurance. But you have given us a great cloud of witnesses who have come before us 
Thank you for the men and the women that have gone before us, the men and the women sitting alongside of us this morning and the rows beside us who are running with us, God, as an encouragement. Help us to fixate on Christ. Help us, our mind, to be the same mindset that Jesus endured the cross. To bask in the gospel. To be reminded of how much we've been forgiven. Help us to strip off the things that are hindering us from running as we should. Help us to strip off especially the sin, God. Help us not to get bogged down in sin. Help us to take it seriously. Help us to not be like Esau who who exchanged a very temporary thing for something much bigger, God. Help us to be mindful that we are created for eternity and to be eternally minded. We have this short season of life to run our race and to run it well for the fame of Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. All right, church, this is our offering time. Um, this morning, and uh, ushers, if you guys would make your way forward, I want to let you guys know that if you're a guest with us this morning, um, we're not after your money. Don't don't feel any obligation to give. Uh, but this is one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal Community Church. And so, if you'd like to do that, you're certainly welcome to do that. Um, while the ushers are passing um, the baskets, I do want to bring you up to speed. We actually, I told you, there's a lot of changes coming this year. Uh, one of the changes that we just recently made, you can actually give on your app. Uh, the Coastal app. And the reason we introduced that, I know a lot of times people, you want to give during the worship service because you feel like it is an act of worship. You want to be a part of that. Uh, but you don't always want to bring a check. And so one of the way, ways you can do that and participate during this part of the service is to give on the app. I, we have a flyer out the Welcome Center. If you go, oh, that interests me and I want to learn how to do that, uh, you can pick that up on the way out, okay? Uh, but as a guest, don't feel an obligation to give. This is one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal. What we'd love to have from you as a guest on the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. And uh, we want to send you a thank you card for coming. So you, one of two ways, you can drop that in the offering basket, that tear-off. Or on the way out, if you'll go to the Welcome Desk, we have a small gift for you. Uh, and you can turn that in there and we'd love to give you that gift. Now, uh, you guys know there was a lot of flooding in, um, in West Virginia, and, uh, and so we've had a couple guys in the church that said, hey, you know what, we want to we be a part, partner and try to help, and, uh, and so we're going to be looking to put together a missions trip uh, to go out to West Virginia in August, and uh, so there's a video for this, so you guys can kind of check this out, and if you want more information, go out to the mission, the welcome desk on the mission side, and find out how you can be a part of helping relieve the West Virginia flood effort. Check this out.